Welcome to Productivity Mastery. Stoy here, a productivity and performance coach on a mission to help businesses and people get the most out of their time. On this podcast, I'll bring you exceptional performers and together unlock what it takes to perform at your highest level. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this episode. Here with uh, my friend Natalie Nixon, uh, the one and only creative rock star uh, from the <laughs> US, Pennsylvania, and um, the author of the forthcoming book, The Creativity Leap, among many other things. She's also a PhD. Uh, she has a crazy lot of experience consulting companies how to bring, uh, you know, their creativity to the next level. So uh, this week, uh, together, we were part of uh, the podium experience, so to say, the virtual podium experience. Uh, by the way, if you're wondering why Natalie is, uh, is a little bit off the screen, she's just sharing the link so more people can, can tune in and start watching this. Uh, so she's back. She's fully present, guys, so don't worry about it. And today I'm we're going to talk about today we're going to talk about how to unleash your creativity at the workplace. Yes. And uh, Natalie, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, while I also share a couple of links. Awesome. So first of all, Stoyan, thank you for having me. You know, we were introduced by our good friend Wallace Green. Uh, Wallace is awesome. He is an expert in startup leadership and story and pitching. And we met in Doha, Qatar in January, and we just clicked. And um, through a series of conversations, he said, you know, I really think you should connect with my buddy Stoyan in Bulgaria. He's doing some really cool work, uh, mastermind groups and such. So um, yeah, I'm based in Philadelphia in the United States. I am a creativity strategist. And what that means is that I advise leaders on how to apply creativity and strategic foresight in order to get to more transformative business business results and to much more um, interesting value for their for the for the people who are buying their products and services. And I apply a very loopy background that I have. I have a background in anthropology and fashion, and I always say that my background in anthropology helped me to, it gave me the skills to frame questions differently because cultural anthropologists, we have what I call the worm's eye view of, of society. Like economics, political science, sociology has the bird's eye view. You kind of zoom out to see society. But in anthropology, you go deep and in, embedded into smaller groups of society and you ask very different questions. So that was the value of my background in anthropology. And then my background in fashion is interesting because people who've never worked in fashion, they either think it's really glamorous or they think fashion is really silly and frivolous. It's not glamorous and it's not frivolous. Fashion is a business. And I worked as an entrepreneurial hat designer many, many years ago, living in New York in my early twenties. And then um, some years later, I was hired by a, a global fashion sourcing company, a division of the limited brands. And I ended up living and working in Sri Lanka and Portugal, <laughs> making bras and panties for Victoria's Secret. But here's the thing, fashion, 
gave me a deep appreciation for the role of technology and logistics in business, but also the role of beauty and desire in order to get to consumer insights. So I bring all of that together when I am helping clients build a much more meaningful strategy. Tell me about Victoria's Secret. That's kind of, you know, I'm curious <laughs> how to know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, no, no, it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's a top brand, right? Everybody sees all these commercials and all these shows with the angels, but I'm actually curious what's happening behind the scenes and, and in terms of creativity and quality, you know, could you give us a little bit of inside look? Actually, I can. Um, one of the example, the stories I, lo I love to share, I used to share this story a lot when I was a professor. So I was a professor for 16 years. And the first 10 years, I taught the business of fashion. And then the last six years of my career as an academic, I created a strategic design MBA program. But when I used to teach courses in fashion merchandising, fashion sourcing, I would share the following story. So when you go into any store, but let's take a Victoria's Secret store, you go in and on the table is underwear, right? Well, let's say the underwear is red. There was a problem where underwear was being delivered to stores all around the world, but it didn't all look like the same red. Uh, some of the waistband look more pink. Some of the waistbands look a little bit darker. Others, what's called the self fabric, the main fabric was different. This was a huge problem. There were literally millions of dollars at stake. And so one day, those of us who were working on this account got this email and it, the subject of the email was Logo Panty Summit in Haifa, Israel. And in this summit, it was really quite serious. All of the vendors who were part of the mills, the dye houses, the factories, all descended upon this beautiful little city of Haifa in Israel and had meetings for about three days so that we could synchronize the recipes. Now here's, and I use the word recipes uh, intentionally because dye houses are like chefs. They have recipes for the type of red and there's all different shades of red, all different shades of blue, et cetera. And the problem was here was a global business that was still very siloed, right? And so there wasn't a mindset shift yet that we are partners. And so the biggest learning that I had from that emergency summit in Israel was that managing a global business has to start really with culture. It has to start with a shift of people understanding it's not about you versus me. If I share my recipe of how we get to this red, then I'll lose out on the business. It, has, it can't be about that. So there are people from Sri Lanka, from China, from Mexico, from Israel, from um, parts of Europe who all came together with, with the understanding like, look guys, if we don't get this quality consistency down, all of us lose. So that's one example. And it was, it was really quite serious. Well, thank you for sharing this, Natalie. And I just want to remind those of you who are watching that uh, you can tune in, post a comment on Facebook or LinkedIn, and uh, Natalie and I will try to answer your questions. Uh, at the end of the day, we want to discuss topics that you guys are interested in. So uh, please you know, tune in, ask a question, and, and let's get into it. It's all about drinking coffee and talking about yes. uh, topics that we're interested about. So uh, I actually want to start with uh, you. You mentioned something about culture, and I'm I'm very curious to to hear how does creativity contribute to culture, and 
how can you foster a culture of uh, creativity if if it's more or less missing in some place? Yeah, that's a really good question, and it's a, it's a it's a question that really comes down to process. And I and I I keep going back to this, but it goes back to mindset. What I like to remind people is that when you are trying to shift culture, it has to start with a mindset shift, which leads to shifts in behaviors, which leads to culture change. And so part of the mindset shift that I'm very passionate about is that we stop thinking of creativity as something that only artists do, right? So how many times, you mean you, I hope you have never said this, but maybe sometimes people say, oh, I'm not a creative type because I can't fill in the blank. I can't draw, I can't dance, I can't sing, whatever, right? That is an example of how as a society, like kind of, well, not in all cultures, but in a, I'll say, I'll stick to my culture, the United States. We have ghettoized creativity in the arts and that's not fair to artists and it's not beneficial to our society at large because the truth is, we are all hardwired to be creative. Think back to when you were a child, and I mean a little child, before you started going to school, you had no problem with expansive imagination, with, with connecting things that really adults might say, oh, that doesn't go together, right? But creativity, the way I define it, it's our ability to toggle between wonder and rigor to solve problems. It's about recombinations of things. And what starts to happen in our educational system is that we start to reward specialization, right? We start to reward having an answer, a solution versus valuing the process. So when we talk about shifting to a culture of creativity, it starts with a shift in mindset where in my view, we have to have inquiry-based leadership. So leading with questions, because this is the other thing and I can say this because I spent over 20 years in the, in the education industry, right? We have um, a tone in classrooms sometimes where if you ask a question, it, we equate it with ignorance or stupidity. So yeah, you asked a question, it's because you don't know something and that's okay. I really love the work of Warren Berger. He wrote a great book called A More Beautiful Question. And he did this, this study of who are the most innovative companies and he realized the most innovative companies lead with curiosity. They lead with questions. Because as Warren Berger likes to say, asking questions is a way of thinking. So the first thing that has to shift is we have to value and encourage questions. That starts with leadership. And then we can't um, condone it when um, team, team members ask questions. The second thing, which I did a whole doctoral research on, is we have to shift to be more improvisational. So here's the thing, improvisation is not, um, it's not, you know, total free flow. Like, like think about jazz music. Jazz musicians have an incredible amount of rigor, right? They know music theory, they practice every day, they, um, their compositions have at least a beginning, a middle and end, their structure. But then they also allow for the wonder the magic that comes in the interstices. They play off of each other. There's no such thing as a mistake. It's about the build. In, in comedy improv, it's about yes and, right? It's not yeah, but, or no, right? It's yes and. So if even if we move to those two shifts in an organization to start to encourage questions and curiosity, not to condemn them, not to say bad, 
you know, everyone's quiet. Like I remember when I was a professor, there's always the moment as a teacher and I would say, okay, any questions? And silence. And that's like the worst because it, don't be afraid to ask a question. You can tell so much more about a person by the quality of questions they ask and their answers. So, so asking questions and having leadership that really encourages curiosity and asking questions. And then also um, being more adapt. So improvisation has, is a complex system. Three characteristics, it's emergent, it's adaptive, and it's self-organizing. And I'll give you an example of a really improvisational corporate culture is actually the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. I, I studied the way that they design experiences for guests. And even though you might think, oh, it's a luxury brand, it seems so like just so, the only way you can delight guests is to be improvisational. You have to allow them to think on their feet in the moment with people. You cannot have micromanagement and permission slip culture. So um, that was a long answer, but that's, that's in my view, two steps to shift to a culture of creativity. So it's in a way it's a dance between this more like structure and kind of defined, you know, the example with the hotels, what is the, the type of feel and experience we want to create, but within this, you know, structure, there's a lot of place for creativity, wonder, improvisation, intuition. And intuition, you can, yes. You can't plan it out. Intuition is huge. You just described, um, if I can nerd out a bit, you just described a chaotic system. So when I say we're living in times of huge ambiguity, huge uncertainty, before we started Yankov, you and I were talking about what's going on in Bulgaria right now, what's going on in the USA, how are we trying to adapt to COVID? We're all at different places. There's a lot of uncertainty and complexity. The best way to navigate complexity is with complexity. And in my view, a primary tool for complexity is creativity because creativity is a complex system. So let's take, so I like to say, I define creativity as toggling between wonder and rigor to solve problems. And then I say, we have to apply the three, oh, sorry, the camera, <laughs> the three eyes. And the three eyes are inquiry, curiosity, improvisation, and you just said it, intuition. So um, when you were just now explaining, you know, how a, a hotel like the Ritz-Carlton has to delight and please guests, yes, they have to move between chaos and order. It is a chaotic system, creativity. Improvisation is also a chaotic system. And once D. Hawk is the gentleman who made up the word chaos, it's a made up word, but when he was actually the first president of Visa, the credit card company, and when he was assigned to start Visa, he said, how am I going to create this global company made up of virtual exchange of currency? I can't just make it the traditional boxes and arrows and org chart. Why can't we behave more like nature in our, in our human organizations? In nature, there's some chaos, which is randomness, and there's some order. Right, and order is not control, order is structure, and chaos is not anarchy, chaos is randomness. And once you start to understand chaotic systems, you see them everywhere. You see them the way our bodies heal, you see them in nature, 
jazz music is a chaotic system, right? So, so sometimes that framework is, is, a, is a helpful way to, for people to understand how they could design their origins. And actually that's clearly what, what I was learning from when I, as I define creativity as wonder and rigor, that's the chaos and the order. I love what you mentioned with respect to chaos. And, and I believe many people these days are struggling to navigate uncertainty and chaos. And, and maybe I would love, I'd love you to dive a little bit deeper into that uh, in terms of uh, what is the right and appropriate mindset in, in these turbulent times when it comes to navigating chaos and uncertainty? What do you recommend? Um, the mindset that I've been, so I have been in emails the past two months, whenever I sign off, I have been saying, stay buoyant. And I love this idea of buoyancy because, um, so I have a background studying dance for many years. I also am a swimmer. And when you are swimming in the ocean, one of the things you learn, if you ever start to feel too tired or you start to cramp, the first thing you do is you flip over onto your back, right? Because that way you're not churning anymore. And what happens when you flip onto your back is a few things. Um, first of all, your perspective completely shifts. So where you've been just like panicking and focusing on like, how am I gonna get back to shore? You flip over and you see the expansiveness of the sky, right? So that's the, something about that just like, for me, relaxes me. Second of all, um, you let go, you relinquish control, right? you you're like okay i'm going to just be one in the water i'm just i'm going to do my best to float and stay buoyant and number three you are actually in flow and flow state is a real thing it's a, it's a real thing in terms of how the neural synapses of our of our in our brains work um it's something that the psychologist Mihale Shikstamale. i'm always i always say his name I, I can't pronounce it i know what say it? yeah no Mikhail. Michael, you guys Michael. you guys got google it right michael yes. the flow guy <laughs> yeah i did an audiobook version of my of my book and i had when i got to that part of the book i had to go to google pronunciation anyway i said it right then but i'm gonna mess up the man's name but anyway that the psychologist mihali Shistamale, he did a lot of great work in what flow is and the flow state is how we can well you know when you're in that zone you know, as hard as it is to start writing something and then and then you just, it's coming out of you. Or when you're running, uh, many, many years ago, um, I was a, a track sprinter in high school. And then I did this outdoor wilderness course and had to complete the course. Uh, it's called Outward Bound. I had to complete it by running a marathon. I had never run like more than a mile. I was like, I'm never gonna be able to do that. But I did it and I didn't join the cross country team. And as, as even though I'm not a natural long distance runner, I totally understand runners high. Like there's a moment when you are just in flow. So um, I forgot where we were going with this. <laughs> oh, buoyancy. Yeah. So 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 anyway, the the mindset that I think we need to have is to stay buoyant, right? It's about relinquishing control. It's about shifting perspective. And it's about really being in a flow state. And sometimes the visual, if you're not a swimmer, the visual might be like a cork from a wine bottle that's just bobbing in the water. 
in the bathtub or in the lake or in, or in the stream, right? But that's the mindset we need to have um, during this time. Um, one other thing I'll, I'll say that I have started doing, um, my husband and I are talking about how like every morning can feel like Groundhog Day, like you, like, you, right? Like you forget, like, what day is it again? So we have to also redesign our relationship with time. Because one of the things this is t t teaching me is that, gosh, time is totally connected to place and geography. Like I know that on Wednesdays, I by 2 p.m., I'm usually downtown meeting with so-and-so or, you know, and, and now that's gone. So we also have to create new rituals and rituals are super important. One of the feelings of sadness and loss that a lot of people are having is because like their rituals are totally disrupted. So you have to create new rituals. So I've created a new morning ritual um, and it includes getting more sleep. So I, I make sure I'm in, asleep in bed by 10 PM, which is hard for me to do, but I've been doing it. Wake up at six. I don't hit the alarm. I mean, sorry, I don't hit snooze. And um, between six in the morning and seven in the morning, I do my hygiene, my ablutions. I do my prayers, my meditation, some journaling, and I stretch my body. And for me, that integration of mind and body and spirit is very important for me personally. So that's the ritual that makes sense for me. But I think whatever your ritual is, uh, I think that will be helpful during this time. Yeah, and I think for me, it's been the same. I, I had to shift my mindset that I had to shift my my rituals and habits. So the first- Do you have, uh, do you have a new habit, a new ritual? Yes. Uh, so I wake up in the morning, uh, I do very you know short meditation. I'm doing Vipassana meditation. And what is it called? Uh, Vipassana, this, um, ah. I don't know if you've done this, uh, but they do, silent retreats 10 day silent retreats uh all around the world the same type of uh, meditation you're you're meditating 10 hours a day and for these 10 days you're not allowed to speak you're not allowed to read you're not allowed to to touch anybody you're not allowed to see anybody in the eyes so it's like a 10 days of uh, complete silence and reset of your mindset and there's no you know, external information coming in. So you're just purifying your mind. It's a, it's a brilliant thing. It's a really brilliant thing. I, I recommend everybody to do at least once. Uh, but the technique that I learned, I use it uh, because I believe it's, for me personally, I've tried a lot of different meditation tools and techniques. This one is the one that gives me the most for the least time. And I love productivity. Uh, first of all, when I do it in the evening, I sleep better. And I've even tracked this yeah. with uh, with a fitness watch. I don't know if you've done this before, Nalle, but uh, when you start tracking, you know, the quality of your sleep, of your deep sleep and your REM sleep, and and you just see when you meditate like a few days in a row how it improves. It's yes. like okay, everything else is the same. It's just the meditation. Yep. It's not just uh, it. It just works. And just works. sleep is essential for creativity. It's essential. It's like we, um, I, I, I made up this um, word, I call it organizational peristalsis. So, you know, do you know how food gets from your mouth 
into your stomach, it has to go through the esophagus. And the when I was in high school, I loved biology. I just, I, I thought, oh, I, I'm gonna major in biology. I, I didn't, but I loved like the mysteriousness of the body, like the inside of our body, how, how it works, how it, it, it's a system. And I'll never forget learning that um, the esophagus, I think it's called an, um, it's an A, I'm gonna mess up. Anyway, it's, it's, it's not a muscle, but it, 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 it has this squeeze, release, squeeze, release, squeeze, release motion that allows our food to get from the back of our throat into our stomach. And if you have ever practiced yoga, yoga is really about breathing. It's about, it's about squeezing and releasing, contract, release. The way our hearts work, contract, release, contract. So there's all, there's all these universal principles of contraction and release. And sleeping is that ability to release. And it really is important to get at least that eight hours because we have to let our bodies and our minds rest. We have to let our bodies break down the food really well. We have to allow our muscles to recover. We have to allow our, our minds to do the deeper synchronicity work that they can't do, that they cannot do during the day when we're only doing linear focused work. We don't allow ourselves to daydream. I do. I, 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 I time five minute daydreams during the day because I love to daydream. Uh, and it's important to have those pauses. But yeah, the, those, but, but did you finish telling us your ritual? I'm sorry. You, your ritual is, is the meditation. Fortunately, the, the city that I, I'm locked in these days, which is called Slimen, um, for those of you who are from the region, maybe, you know, we know it. Uh, there is a couple of friends that are at the lockdown here as well. So I, I created this um, daily ritual to, to hike to a certain, it's a very intensive hike. Uh, very short but very intensive so for 30 40 minutes every morning we go together it's high intensity we almost don't speak uh lately i actually started meditating for five minutes and went like you have to go higher up uh so i meditate for five minutes uh, from the top seeing the whole city and then you're we're running backwards i take a shower get my cup of coffee and i start my day i usually was having uh, a, a morning uh, gratitude journal uh, but I moved it to the evening right now. Uh, but I do it every day right now. Again, the same thing, uh, the the Groundhog Day Syndrome. Uh, yeah. It really helps me when I locked out my, you know, finish my long day at home to, to go in front of my computer. I love to write on computer, digital. And just to write down, okay, what have I achieved today? What am I grateful about? And some days, you know, some days you, you haven't achieved much, right? So it's like, hey, I'm I'm healthy. Yes, that's I have, huge. It's everything. I, that's everything. I have friends. I have, uh, you know, my parents are, you know, around. And um, it's just so many things you can be grateful about. And, and I think... This is the whole thing. It's it's just beautiful, and I I've been trying for the for the past uh, eight weeks just to just to you know people ask me, hey, why don't you you know something about productivity and stuff? But the point is, people just need a little bit of perspective, you know, these days. They're spreading some good energy, asking the right questions, shifting the focus, just just being there, you know. And hey, how are you doing? You know, let's 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 do stuff. Okay, 
it's it's challenging times, it's turbulent times, but if we if we let fear take us and start controlling us, that, that doesn't lead us anywhere. No, no. I love your ritual. That's really nice. I, uh, I, I haven't tagged anything for me in the evening. It's just about by 9.30, I need to make sure I'm in our bedroom. I'm, I'm slowing down. The lights are coming down. It's all these signals to, to my body and to my mind that I'm ready to cocoon, you know? And I, I've been um, calling this time the value of the pause, right? The importance of pausing, of waiting. And that's really hard in our society to do. But on my website, I posted um, a, a short PDF about why the, this is the silver lining for organizations. When we pause, we can restore we can identify what needs to actually go and what we need to keep or add in. We can, um, sorry, yeah. we, we can um, reorient, uh, which is about foresight, you know, asking big what if questions, and then we can reboot. So there's a lot of value in the pause. It's like, it's like on a meta level, there's the meta pause of the world, and then there's the pause of some organizations, and there's the pause on an individual level, and it's so important. Yeah, and I think in many ways it's the, it's a blessing. What's been, you know, it's such a great opportunity for all of us to really take a pause, as you said, and to really reconnect with your values, your purpose. Where do you want to be? You know, do do some proper reflection and say hey let me let me measure the last uh, two three five years have i been running with too high of a speed yes and and do i have to do some changes obviously i need to adapt to the current situation they obviously you know never nobody knows how long this is going to take how it's going to impact our society in the long run, how are we going to change our habits of, you know, talking about working, right? You know, are we going to get back to offices or are many people start uh, working from home, you know, after the, the virus is, is gone, right? Like, I don't know, uh, there's there's so many questions and and I think I love what you thought about in, in terms of rigor and wonder because it's, it's all a dance, it's all a dance. Yes, it's totally. It's all this, you know, my, the, the coaching academy that I attended uh, back in 2014, IPEC uh, coaching in London, they had something, I don't know where they got it from, but it had this quote, have your goals clear, but write it with a pencil. Ah, I like it. And write I absolutely love it. Yeah. Absolutely love it. The you know, ability the, the, to be adaptive. You know, this, there's this... Um, more creative artists kind of people that they have no boundaries and no no limit like no no goals like many many people in the creative industries artistic people they're struggling to to create structure and to have more clear objectives uh and, and then there's the the opposite extreme yeah, when you become completely you know rigorous or like like there's no everything is micromanaged there's no space for creativity and wonder so so the beauty is to find your balance and to dance around it i think and that's exactly that's the dance and it so that's it's and think i mean going back to the human body 
the body is incredible. The body is always striving for homeostasis, for equilibrium. It never, I mean, every day our bodies are fighting off disease that we're not even aware of, right? Every day our bodies are trying to, to do, they're doing this dance and flow. But, you know, in, in when I wrote this book, The Creativity Leap, I interviewed attorneys and scientists at NASA and farmers and people who work in beauty and cosmetics and educators and the most incredible scientists are super creative. They do it. They, they, they write their goals in pencil. They're willing to adapt if the initial theory doesn't pan out. They're, they are willing to tinker. The best attorneys lead with really good questions. They don't assume that they have the answer. They follow their, they pay attention to their intuition. I, I interviewed um, the CEO of a tech company who has a PhD in engineering. And when I started asking about intuition, before I asked, I thought, oh gosh, he's gonna think I'm, I'm nutty asking him about intuition. He's an engineer, he works for a tech, he's head of a tech firm. He totally got it. He said, oh my gosh. He said, I follow my intuition all the time. Intuition helps me to make decisions. Of course he likes data. He, 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 he doesn't put aside the rational, but I was so interested that here's someone who's trained in proof and rationality who totally embraces uh, intuition. So um, we really do see creativity, yes, in the arts. Artists are excellent at sitting with discomfort, at, at wrestling with ambiguity. They don't run away from it. And that's, and that's what we can really learn from artists. And artists know that it's not sexy work to be creative. It's hard. It's, it's often very lonely and very solitary. And you have to, and sometimes you have to, it's just empty, nothing. And then you show up over and over and over again, like with a background in dance, even though I never became a professional dancer, I, I danced in college. I was in the company. I did, I did some, still some small performance after college in New York. And there's something called the audition. And you have to build up such resilience because you are told no so many times before you're told yes. And you have to keep on coming up for air and coming up for air and showing up and showing up. And it's, it's, it's an incredible learning and lesson that I have taken with me throughout my life. Even though I never you know, went on to be a, a, a professional dancer, um, the, the lessons have been amazing. Yeah, and I think the other thing is uh, the, you know, the essence of creativity it's you know it's i'm writing my book i'm finishing my book as well you, you're writing your book and i can see it in the back right now and and it's it's just such a messy process such a structured messy process it's just it's just crazy you know there's some days that it's like whoa i can write for for six hours like this it's flow right there's some other days i'm super fresh but it just doesn't it doesn't work nope. and then i have to do something crazy and i have to switch it you know, breaking the pattern and go for a walk and call a friend and and watch a YouTube video, do my own things to 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 get this inspiration back into me. And it's it's this dance between okay, I have deadlines, I have structure, but at the end, the, the day I also have to let go. Yes, for you have for to. for stillness, for creativity to happen. And um, I've been just uh, talking to to my editor right now, and and. Uh, I love what she said. She said, you know, I, I need to 
put it on a pulse and need to get back to it the next day. And, yeah. and that's what you got to do sometimes. You know, you come up with this idea, like you can't put us, you know, this brainstorming session six hours and then we have to get it all done. Yeah, but maybe you need to let it and you need to sleep on it. You need to come back tomorrow with fresh eyes and look at it, maybe get some feedback from people. Yes. And then it's like, wow, why yes. haven't I seen it yesterday, you know? <laughs> yes, I totally agree. Writing a book is really hard and um, it totally needs that rigor and that wonder. And the best advice I got was from a gentleman named Alan Weiss. I had hired him to be my business coach for a period of time. And one of the things he helped me with was getting my uh, book proposal order. I did, I did two drafts of a book proposal. I got rejection, rejection, rejection for a year and a half. And finally decided to just, I was getting very discouraged. And finally I sent my proposal out to a group of, of people who, some I've never even met, were just email friends, but they have published a lot. And I basically said, listen, if you would be so kind, I'd appreciate if you would share this proposal to your network in publishing. And one of those people was Joe Pine, who's the co-author of The Experience Economy. And he kindly forwarded my proposal to Barrett Kohler, the, the publisher of my book, The Creativity Leap. But Alan Weiss, once I got the contract and it was like, okay, go write the book. He said, he said the number one thing you should do is to not self-edit. When you go in front of that blank screen every day, you know, I, I jokingly say there's there's a mini me on this shoulder that says, no one wants to listen to that. That's stupid. Why would you write that? That's already been said, right? That's the horrible me. And then there's another me that says, wow, that's amazing. Say more. Oh, I can't wait to see what happens with this idea, right? And that's the 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 the, the you that you have to turn on and that you have to listen to. And I would also, I would have word count goals every day. Like today I'm gonna to write 600 words, but I use what I call the baby food method. And I would break it down to like, for the next 30 minutes, I'm gonna to try to just do a brain dump hundred words, go do the laundry, come back. And sometimes I would hit my goal. A lot of the times I wouldn't. And you have to be very soft with yourself. You have to be very forgiving and say, okay, uh, but I did X. That's okay. I'll walk away and I'll come back tomorrow. I'll try again. Um, the other thing I did is because it's such a mental game, those two mini me's on my shoulders. I, um, I took a week last summer and I went back to my alma mater, my, the college that I studied at Vassar college. And I knew intuitively I had to go back there and I had to spend like three to four hours every day in that beautiful library because that was the first place in my life where I got my intellectual confidence. It was the first time in my life that I felt like my ideas are unique. My ideas have value. That was because of the incredible professors that I had. And I knew that psycho psychologically, I needed to physically put myself back in that space uh, and, and Elizabeth Gilbert talks about the magic of, of creative ideas and, and, and how it's, it's waiting for, ideas are waiting for a repository, which could be your brain, it might not be. But that physical sense of place was super helpful for me and, and also in the writing of the book. Environment makes a big difference. 
I'm, yes. you know, I, for me, it has to be an amazing environment, but it also has to be diverse and it has to change. If I yeah. stay in the same place, we have to do something creative, right? And I, my background is from movie production. I'm finishing yes. my book now. I'm doing a lot of creative stuff. I need to change environments. I literally, in a non-COVID time, you know, you you'll see me, you know, once a week. If I if I have an office, I'll be there once a week. Then I work from Starbucks. Then I work from another place. I just need to change environments, and specifically, you know, can relate to what you're saying with respect to you know this library and so on. Um, we have actually a couple of questions from Manuel, and let's maybe oh, uh, you know have a have a look at these questions. Manuel, thank you for your patience. For uh, we we went so many places with Lali. Um <laughs> So the first questions, or oh, he's actually saying, "You guys rock! You rock thank as well, brother." <laughs> yes. I was wondering, could Corona be considered as the start of a transmission from the technological to the digital era? Many people started using online platforms and mastered their online skills because of the pandemic. Um, yeah, I mean, so what that really, I like your question because what you're really getting to, what I take away from your question is what we're really getting to is could this time prompt learning, right? It's forcing us to learn uh, new tools which always um, is uncomfortable and usually has great results. One of the phrases I like to say is be a clumsy student of something, right? And for me, like right now, even though I studied, I studied modern dance since I was age four, but now I'm a clumsy student of the tango and of the foxtrot and I am not good at it. <laughs> And I get life lessons all the time. Right, right now, I'm not, I don't see my teacher, Nodari, uh, as often because of, of COVID, really not at all because it's, it's, uh, we can't have the contact. But when I would go to my lessons, it was just like mind-blowing lessons um, about um, follow, right? I, I'm a decent leader, but following is as important as leading. Um, he would uh, always be giving me lessons about don't rush, right? Which I can see in my life. Sometimes I rush through things so much, too much. So your question about are we got, maybe shifting to, to more digital? It's really, to me, what I take away from that, it's an opportunity to learn. And we're gonna be clumsy at first. We're gonna see some things that we thought were so excellent. Uh, we'll put them to the side. Um, but this, we, we can't be afraid of it, right? Any, we, anything that we practice, that we spend time on, we absolutely can get better. That, you know, Leonardo da Vinci, the original Renaissance man, he is, he's credited for having said that any obstacle can be destroyed through rigor, anything. Anything that you focus on, you, 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 you through baby steps, you work to master, it absolutely can be, can be mastered. So those are my thoughts. I think it's a very beautiful thought and a reminder for those of you who are watching right now and maybe struggling to figure out how to solve this big problem or, you know, be it a business problem. The first thing you got to do is you got to take a step. Yes. And I, and I think you need to focus on this small step. If, if you're feeling stressed, you're feeling uncertain and 
you know, I don't know how to solve this big thing. All right, what could be the first thing you want to do? What yeah. could be one step in the right direction? What could be three simple things I can do today to move forward into maybe, you know, finding a better strategy or maybe calling somebody who can give me a good advice, maybe doing something simple. So, you know, and then you build some momentum. Yes, I love that word momentum. Momentum is everything. And you're right. It actually should be simple. Keep it simple, sweetie. <laughs> we have the, the KISS acronym, K-I-S-S. It's about keeping it simple, sweetie. You know, be kind to yourself. Take one step forward. Don't judge. Instead, look at like, ah, oh, I learned X, Y, Z. Um, I'm going to try it again tomorrow. For example, um, I finally, I'll be celebrating three years as an entrepreneur, head of figure eight thinking next month in June. Congratulations. Thank you. And my husband has been, his name is John. And John has been telling me, babe, you need to get an assistant. You have to get an assistant. And I, and I was scared. I was like, I don't know how to explain everything that's in my head. I now have to translate and move things off my desk. And I, and, and finally, I hired a wonderful, amazing young woman. Her name is Bria Moss Wilkerson. And I call, I don't call her my sister. I call her my project manager. And it was, it's those baby steps of letting go. It's those baby steps. I also ask her for her advice all the time. <laughs> I ask her for her help in so many ways. And one of the things that I have started doing, which was very hard to me, I would say two months ago, I started using video a lot more. I'm trying to post more video on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, and it requires me to not be vain, to not be so critical, uh, to be okay with just like putting it out there. And I've started to do more coaching, Yankov, and the biggest request that I, I realize I'm helping people with is getting unstuck. Like what's the first step you can take, right? And the second thing is putting your baby out in the world which is terrifying. You know, we all suffer from, I, I call it my beautiful baby-itis. Oh, don't talk about my idea. It's so perfect. It's so beautiful. Uh, it's, you know, leave it alone. No, it's meant to be released and let people opine on it. And maybe they'll say, ah, I'm not into it. That's okay. Uh, what can you learn from that? Or leave, let it go. Um, I, I, I'm going to write a, a short post on um this idea of asking, so what, question mark. Because when I was writing my, I did a PhD while working full-time, which was very naive. <laughs> and um, I did it in four years and I had the most amazing advisor named Allison Ripple. And I would spend a week struggling and writing all this tedious academic scholarship stuff. I'd submitted to her She'd send me back my draft and she would have just deleted 70% of what I wrote. And in the margins, she would write, and she's British. So I'll try to say it in a British. She's like, so what? So what? And man, but what a powerful question. Like ask yourself, you know, so what if someone doesn't like what I just put out? So what? or in the process of writing, like what, what's the deeper meaning of this? And that those two words are such an important question. But yeah, the point is try it, take a baby step, be kind to yourself and 
don't take yourself so seriously. Like, just try it. You know, you you, you never know. It, it it might it might it might land with a pop and a bang, and it might fizzle out to nothing. That's okay. I had a, a couple of weeks ago uh, another guest. Uh, his name is Andrew Tarvin. He's a humor engineer, and what a humor he said engineer? was <laughs> yes. I what, love that. <laughs> you should go check it out. It was it's a brilliant interview. Um, his name Andrew Tarvin, and one thing he said was, "What gets fun gets done." Yes. Yes. <laughs> so yes. talking about talking about productivity and and I think sometimes we are just taking ourselves too too serious and we gotta be more fun. We gotta be more playful. Yes. Uh, when you put fun, like any problem becomes easier. Any even whatever, like whatever it is, productivity definitely have a huge correlation. But you know, as a final question, because I can see the time is is uh, you know taking away <laughs> is uh i'm just curious what are your own productivity habits or hacks if any because you know people see you you're a published author you're a phd you're teaching universities you know speaking in global stages and so on and it seems like you know it just comes like this right uh but i'm just curious to hear what's the truth what are some of your productivity hacks and habits well, that's a great question. First of all, I love your guests saying what what gets fun gets done. I love that. I'm going to look at that interview. That I love. That's awesome. So, what I um, wonder is very easy for me. I am big picture. I can generate ideas for days. It's the rigor that. Uh, I have to practice and I have to rein in. So I literally, I use time limits like nobody's business. And, and it, it reins me in. Um, I, I wrote in my book that um, since I was a little girl, I have been a mighty daydreamer. <laughs> and so that's the good news and the bad news. So for example, um, if I'm working on an article, um, I no longer try to say two hours today, I'm going to work on this article. I divide it into 20 minute writing sprints. So I'm a big fan of sprints and maybe it's that my background at high school as a, as a track runner. Um, but giving myself the intense focus, I turn off my phone, I put it on airplane mode. There is no music playing in the background. Oh, I love music. It helps me with the mood in my, in my work if I'm answering emails and stuff. Close the door and I just write. And some of those writing sprints are for the editing and the re-arranging re, um, of things. And some of it is just the brain dump. So sprints, I call them rigor sprints are super helpful for me to be productive. And then on the other side, I mentioned already, I do wonder breaks. I, I go outside and sit on the steps in nice weather and cold weather. I look outside the window, stare at the clouds for five minutes and I put the timer on so I don't go on too long. I take walks um, and we live in a beautiful community in Philadelphia. We have woods all around us so I can go on a trail and I, and I call it, I, I dip into the woods. And you know, the Japanese, they have this expression, forest bathing. 
which I love in their language. And basically, we don't, we're not as cognizant of this as we should, but when you're in the forest, the sunlight that's filtering through the leaves, the chlorophyll has an effect on your breathing, on your lungs, on it, 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 it releases serotonin um, and, and, and hormones that are more healthier. When we're walking on the earth, uh, the soil breaks out. You, you've smelled that smell when you're walking in the woods and you breathe that in. That's, it's, it's a soil bacteria, which is very healing. It's very calming. So it's, it's really real. I mean, whether it's the ocean or the woods, it's important to take dips into nature. We, we are organic beings. We're not meant to be in buildings all day. So those are the two things I do. I do rigor sprints. I use time like a, like a mad woman. And I make sure that I um, take time to just let myself pause. What a great reminder. Especially the last one is something that doesn't come natural for me. And that's something I've been working on for the last few years. Um, I'm a very driven and highly motivated person. But the ability to prioritize breaks and, you know, rejuvenation uh, was something I've been working on and, and still building for sure. So thank you for the reminder. Natalie, it's been such a pleasure to have you. Time is flying like crazy in this time, but uh, uh, we need to be wrapping this up and I'm sure we'll have a lot of other chances to, you know, to connect and to do cool stuff together uh, twice this week. So, you know, yeah. what's not to like. Now, before we go, uh, Natalie, how can people find you where can people find your book? Tell us, where are you online? How can we find you? Thank you. Well, first of all, Stoyan, it was a pleasure talking to you. I admire the way you've been able to keep us very conversational. It was, it was really a lot of fun. So thank you for inviting me. So um, I'd love to hear from a, a range of people. Um, my website is figure8thinking.com. That's F-I-G-U-R-E, the number eight, thinking.com. And there, if you if you go to the website and you click on the top banner, you can get a free sample chapter from my uh, book called The Creativity Leap, Unleash Curiosity, Improvisation, and Intuition at Work. Uh, you just go to figureeightthinking.com, you click on the banner at the top, you'll start getting the newsletter. It only comes out six times a year. I don't wanna overburden people with that. Um, you know, some, some great tips and ideas and um, get, a, get, get the first chapter in the introduction and I'd love to hear from you. Um, so that's how you can find me and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Um, just go to look for Natalie Nixon on YouTube. I give lots of free content, share all my webinars. Um, and yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Natalie at figureeightthinking.com. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening. And if you're looking for somebody to help you step up your team performance and boost your productivity, make sure to check out stoyanyankov.com for online workshop solutions and programs designed to help you go through the current situation in a smoother manner. Stay safe and keep moving forward.